Let us turn now to Genesis 22, chapter 22, where the scripture reading, begin reading at verse 1, and um, I guess continue through verse 19. So beginning to read with verse 1 of chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt, of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Uh, for a burnt offering. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, uh, multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Well, I don't know how many times you have over the years of your life, if you're older, more times, if you're younger, fewer times, but I don't know how many times you have come across the story of the the attempted or the 
supposed sacrifice of Isaac uh, by his father, and then the provision of the ram in the thicket. But how many times, if you've heard that story, if you've thought about that, if you've heard, preached on, how many times have you heard it in the context of the family or the family dynamic? I don't think, I don't think probably ever in a, in a real sense. And so uh, when I came to it this time, I, again, I'm going through Genesis, and I'm looking for instances where we get insights into the family and into the family dynamics. And um, this was really overwhelming. I, I just had never uh, come to it from this perspective. All was here before I've thought about it from the perspective of, of uh, the symbolism here of Christ and the need for our atonement and these kinds of things. But what about the family dynamics? What can we learn here about the family and about how we ought to think of ourselves as members of a Christian family? So... Um, the title of the sermon is God Uses Our Children, and then there are five things that I drew from the text that God uses our children to help us with and to make uh, these things plain, to make, to make the subtle things or the hidden things important and significant to us in our minds. And so um, uh, I believe that he does use our families, you know, we were created as sexual creatures. Uh, as sexual creatures, we have children. We bear children. I've, I've mentioned before that while the, the angels of heaven were finite, there was a finite number, there was a definite number of angels that never increases or decreases. With children, that was not the case. And God commanded us as human beings to produce children that then we could carry on the race and increase the race. And is, even as he speaks of the sands of the seashore here in this text, or the stars in the sky, how did we get the multiplicity of those things? How did we get all of those grains of sand? Well, we got them by obeying the Lord, by uh, marrying each other as husbands and wives, and then waiting upon his good, uh, good blessings upon us to bear children, to have children, then having those children, rearing those children, as it says in Deuteronomy 6, to to do that in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to take our responsibilities as parents so, uh, so soberly, bearing those children, um, um, mentoring those children, discipling those children until they take up where we left off and then they have families, they have children, and this goes on and on and, until there are these uh, sands of the seashore and stars of the sky. And all of this is done by uh, God's good pleasure and according to his wisdom. It's really amazing when we think about it. Well, here we see that God brought these lessons to Abraham and he used uh, the, the childbearing of Abraham and Sarah to inculcate these lessons or insert these lessons deeply, deeply, deeply into the heart of these people. I can just imagine the sermons that Abraham preached after he went back from this incident uh, to his people about what he had learned through this. And he learned all this because he was a family man. Now, if there was ever a family man who had a more agonized life with children, it was Abraham. I mean, God had promised him that he would have these children early on, um, uh, He, but he, he, Sarah could not bear him a child, and so he had the agony of, of uh, the Hagar-Ishmael incident, 
in his life. He had the, the agony of waiting. He had the agony of trying to minister to his wife who uh, could not bear a child for years and years and years. They were into their 90s uh, and even 100 when, the, when he was born to them. We know that Sarah only lived another about roughly 25 years more after this. And so when it comes to children, it was not an easy road for Abraham. He, he, both he and Sarah had these high ideals, these, these great dreams, these great prophecies that were given to them, but these things were so slow in developing. And then uh, once Isaac came, uh, there were incidents like this today where God uses us. You, do, you, do you believe that God simply enjoys uh, watching us dangle on a string in our lives? As we have trials in our lives, we might be tempted to think that God, God is some sort of a divine masochist who simply enjoys watching his people go through these torturous twists and turns of life. But we see here that that is not the case. God, what, what, what seems torturous to us sometimes is based upon the wisdom of God. And then uh, our submission unto that wisdom. And we are obligated to be submissive unto this, as we see that Abraham here was obligated to go through this trial uh, on behalf or with his son Isaac. And so God does use our children. I don't know whether you've thought about that in terms of your Christian life. I'm sure you thought, well, I've got a lot of th- I've got a lot of challenges in my Christian life. I've got to I've got to increase my sanctification here, 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 and here. But I don't, don't know whether you've ever thought before about how your children were going to play a, a major role in that, in developing your patience, in developing your suffering, your long suffering, and developing your confidence in God. Because God, the lesson here is the big lesson is God will provide. And I, I know. Um, uh, as, a, as a young man entering family life, I had lots of challenges. I did have a basic faith that God would provide and God would take care of us. But there were any, any number of times that I wondered what, how that would work its way out. Uh, there were probably three or four times, maybe five, where I wondered whether I would finish my life in the ministry or whether I would be driven from it by the difficulties of life, by the difficulties of the um, of the prescriptions that God laid out for me to take in terms of the, the happiness or the sadness or the trials of the various churches that I was in. And uh, here I am, you know, still surviving here after all these years. And sometimes it's a marvel in my eyes. But uh, we see from this passage and from others that God does provide and he works through our families uh, no matter how that paradigm works out. My case, I was a pastor. I was concerned for my family. I, I didn't want to be destroyed. I didn't want to have to switch uh, vocational gears half, you know, after my children were half grown. And so uh, I just had to roughly uh, be calm, be still, know that the Lord was God, and trust him to get me through to the end. And um, this, we see that Abraham had to do much the same thing. This was in a much more intense exercise. But nonetheless, God used his children, namely Isaac, to, um, to uh, reinforce certain beliefs and certain understandings in Abraham so that Abraham could be a great preacher of righteousness and uh, 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 
disciple his people in the ways of the Lord. So there are five ways here that God uses our children. First of all, we see that God uses our children to test us. And we see this in the very first verse of this text where it says that God was uh, came to test Abraham. Now it came to pass after the, these things that God tested Abraham. Now in the various twists and turns of this thing, uh, God says, for instance, he says, now I know that, that now that uh, now that I know that you know, or now I know that you trust me, Abraham, and that you will you you follow through on this with your son. Um, now, to be an honesty, um, God knew that beforehand because He's all knowing. He, this He was not surprised by Abraham's behavior, but who may have been surprised by Abraham's behavior? Abraham, <laughs> and God used this traumatic situation to to force Abraham through these various steps because he wanted Abraham to understand his own faith. And as human beings, we, we do not understand our own faith. We don't understand the depths of it. We find ourselves challenged here and there. Sometimes we cry out to the Lord, keep me safe, O Lord, help me to get from here to there. And we don't know whether we have the strength to do that or not. We just don't know whether we can survive. Our challenges seem to be superior to our abilities to go forward. Know this, that uh, just as with Abraham, God is testing us. And, and it's not that he doesn't know, but he wants us to know uh, how, how these things are going. He did that with Job. Job went through these things, and, and uh, in the end, Job understood that he worshipped God not just because of the blessings God brought to him, but Job worshipped God because he loved God. He, he, he worshipped God because God, he knew that the virtue of his love to, to God was significant. And so he learned a great lesson. And after he learned that lesson, then God blessed him even more. In this case, this test that God puts before Abraham appears ghastly. Um, there's nothing in the Bible that would teach us that we ought to sacrifice our children in death as a sacrifice. Pagans believe that. They, they would often kill children in order to obtain blessing for their crops and things like that. But there's nothing in the Bible that, that teaches that sort of thing, uh, with the exception of God's express command, in this case, to Abraham. And Abraham might have even wondered about his own sanity, but... He, he, he understood that there was an indelible um, sense of truth with the things that he heard from God. And so even though on one level he might have second-guessed this, on another level he knew, this is the Lord God speaking to me, and I must uh, obey him. He called him Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up as a burnt offering. Now, um, you notice how God phrases this. Take your only son, Isaac. How long had they struggled to bring this lad into existence? How agonizing was the arrival of Isaac into their family? Momentous. That's very significant. Then he says uh, to ratify that or to, to develop that he says your only son Isaac whom you love 
So he wants to reinforce to Abraham that he knows of the intense affection between father and son. Remember how Abraham loved uh, Absalom, I mean uh, Ishmael, even though he was not the child of promise, even though he came from this slave woman, yeah, Hagar. Abraham was kind of a softy, I think. He was all over uh, Ishmael in terms of his emotions. He didn't want Ishmael to be driven away when Sarah said there was confusion in the family and Hagar and Ishmael had to go. A Abraham hung over Ishmael with his affection. But uh, despite that, um, when Isaac came, all of that affection was focused in the right direction, and it was a positive thing. Um, and then he tells him to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now we'll see how this develops out, but uh, Mount, Moriah, Mount, Mount, Mount Moriah is the the uh, place in the modern city of Jerusalem where there is an Islamic temple now. It's the, it's the historic um, hereditary place where this took place. So there are many, many miles from Jer uh, Jerusalem. This Jerusalem was, was not even a proper city at this time. Uh, it became a Jebusite city before it became an Israeli city. But there was a place there, and it was a crossroads, and it became a city. And there was a temple there that was ultimately built. And we know that that was the temple that Jesus Christ came and spoke at. He cleansed it once. He spoke. He held up, he held up his voice and decreed that uh, in three days this temple would be, would be uh, raised, but then it would be built up again in himself. And he spoke there about his resurrection. So here we are back in the annals of time, way before there's any city of Jerusalem in, the, in the, any kind of a modern sense. And God is directing Abraham to do this. And Abraham doesn't really know what he's involved with, but he knows that this is the voice of the Lord who's speaking. And so, and he knows that God, God tells him right up front, this is a test. So as he went forward with his obedience, with the details of this, he had to think to himself, uh, how, what, what, how is God doing this? What, what, why is God doing this? Now, the second, th the second point is that God uses our children to reveal things to us just because we do care so much about our children. Well, the way God created us, he created us to love our children. Did, did, you, did you ever think that maybe it was foolish or dumb for another family to love their children like you love yours? Did you ever evaluate that? Say, well, you know, I know I love my children, but my children are lovable. But why does that guy across the street, love? why is he so devoted to his children? You see, God made us in such a way that, how, you know, whatever the dimensions are of our family, whatever the developments are of our family, if we have children, we love them. If, if we're normal, if we're, if we're healthy people, if we're not overcome by some dysfunction, that sort of thing. And so God... But God used Abraham's love of Isaac, that intense love that had agonized and worked its way through all of the, the twists and the turns of Sarah's um, uh, health and ability to bear children. God used that to reveal things uh, to him. And in verse 4, we see where he says to Isaac, 
I mean to Abraham. Then on the third day, uh, Abraham lifted his eyes. He went to the he went uh, to this place, Mount Moriah. On the third day, he lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now we know that it was uh, it was in this same area on the third day that Jesus Christ arose from the dead. These things are just not coincidental. You see, God has these things instituted in the warp and the woof of history, and there's there's something here about I think in the terms of the Trinity. That, uh, that, in other words, he's symbolically here, it's through the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that this salvation will be brought about, that the, that the solution to mankind will be worked out. And so it's on the third day, uh, way back when Abraham's time, that he lifts his eyes and he beholds the place uh, where the sacrifice is to be, to, to be placed. And we know that Jesus Christ, millennia later, was um, was uh, uh, crucified on the same in the same area and uh, on a high place there uh, just outside of the temple area in Jerusalem, and so <clears throat> um, Abraham begins this exercise there, and um, uh, we see that he's he's told he's been told that his son must be a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And that um, he, he has some sense of the dimensions of this. No doubt, one of the reasons that Abraham went along with this was that he understood intuitively that each one of us owes our lives to God because of our sin. If sin, the, 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 wage, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So there's no way that, God, that Abraham could have gone to God and said, this is unjust. There's, there's no way that you can demand the life of my son Isaac. No, Isaac was born of uh, the sinful race. He had certain promises given unto him, but that didn't change the basic way that he was born. It didn't change his station. It changed the prospects of his station, but not the station itself. And so uh, uh, God wanted to reveal certain things to Abraham about his sin, about the dimensions of his sin, about what was really right and wrong. People today, have, they, they, they think that they have all different, they have all, all kinds of rights. A right not to die, a right not to be in an accident. I hear this all the time as I minister to people at the hospital. People come in, they just are flabbergasted that bad things would happen to them. And, uh, I'm not at liberty to to to, to uh, uh, get, go on an extensive uh, extensive uh, theological excursus at that point. We just try to just try to be close to them and try to encourage them as we can as human beings. But uh, there's so much to know, and and God was revealing this in graphic detail to Abraham at this point. Now. God uses our children thirdly to tear to tear in our hearts. We see this in verse seven, uh, because as they're they're almost there, they've seen the place, and Isaac speaks to Abraham, his father, and says, "Father, when when a child speaks to their parents in a tender way, in a sincere way, and they have questions, even even." Um, uh, a neutral question can almost bring a parent to their knees in terms of the tenderness of that relationship that they hear as they're addressed by their children. Father, 
And he said, here I am, my son. And then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac is a young lad, but he knows enough theology to know that if there's going to be a sacrifice, that the only proper sacrifice for a burnt offering is a, a lamb without blemish. And so he brings that childhood knowledge, that childhood theological knowledge, he brings that to bear to his father. Father, I see the wood, I see the fire, but where, where is the lamb? Oh, Abraham had to bear so much in his soul, uh, he could not explain everything to his son at that moment. But God wanted God wanted to tear at his heart. He wanted, he wanted Abraham to count the cost of this boy and count the cost of life and count the cost of a relationship with him. He didn't want Abraham to simply drift along as many typical Americans do, thinking that they are owed of the love of God. He wanted Abraham to grapple with this in the depths of his heart. And so he has, he has Isaac speak to his dad. And uh, believe me, it tore at Abraham's heart. Uh, God uses our children, fourthly, to teach us the deepest truths. The deepest truths that God would provide. He would provide safety and care and these kinds of things. But he would, even more importantly, he would provide for us a way to be acceptable before God. A way to be acceptable before God. Most people don't even think about that. They think that's such a small thing. God is God, and isn't it his right, isn't it his job to forgive us, and to take care of us? They have no idea of the offense of sin, the awful offense of sin, the terrible offense of sin, the agonizing offense of sin. They have never grappled in their own hearts with the the weight of uh, the, the heaviness of sin. You know, in the Old Testament, when God would appear, when God would make an appearance before people like the giving of the law, or in this case where he comes and he calls Abraham, Abraham, uh, the people, when they were brought into pre the presence of God, there was a heaviness, there was a, a, a sense of death that came over them because they were in proximity to the divine. And that's difficult enough in our nature as created people. It's even more overwhelming because of our sin. We're, we're created people who have rebelled, made them awful rebellion against this wonderful God of ours. And actually been impudent enough and brash enough to, to blaspheme his name and to challenge him in his basic righteousness. God wanted to teach these things to Abraham. Um, he wanted to, to he wanted Abraham to know in his deepest, the deepest parts of his heart and soul, that God would provide, and specifically here, God would provide at, at the most important place where the right the, the righteousness of God had demands upon the life of Abraham and, and uh, Isaac and Sarah and uh, all the rest of their people. And so he teaches him this through this. Uh, and when, uh, when in verse 
8 and verse 5, when um, Abraham says, he seems to understand a lot of these things, despite the, we don't know what God had said, but based on the scriptures, we, God had not explained all of this to Abraham. But Abraham says in verse 8, my God, my son, my God will provide for himself. He will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Now that may have been a double entendre, meaning that the Lord would provide uh, his son Isaac or that he would provide a, another lamb, a substitute lamb. But he, uh, that's, uh, that's, in his, that's in his mind. And, um, and we see then that he does do these things and he blesses Abraham and Isaac amazingly. In, in verse 11, uh, we see, it says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. And then again in verse 15, it says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. Now, we know that there are, all angels are angels of the Lord. But there's only one, the, the where the, he uses the article in Hebrew, the angel of the Lord. And most times that this has been interpreted, angel means messenger in Hebrew. And most people have interpreted this to be a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I mentioned, I made an allusion to the Trinity before earlier with this, the third day, on the third day this happened. And um, we see here that it, it looks like the, the Son of God, the, the, the Prince of Peace, the Prince Angel of the, the Triune God, uh, came and conversed with Abraham himself. At verse 13 or 15, it says, Then the angel of the Lord called on Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, like that oath ceremony that was in Genesis 15. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will show you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so we see here in this family drama, we have the whole of redemption being portrayed. Adam and Eve fell in their sin. And the race was lost spiritually. They lost their faith. They no longer had the capacity to enjoy God and to love him when he appeared. Now they were afraid of him. They ran. Who could cure this malady? Who could cure this toxic condition of mankind? All of this is being worked out here in this family drama between father and son. And God says to Abraham, because you have not withheld your son, I will bring my blessing to bear upon you, even in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's this paradigm, there's this reflection between God and his son, and Abraham and his son. And the redemption that's worked out between, on the part of, between God the Father and God the Son. And he says that through this, uh, there would be this great blessing re- comparable to the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. And then in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Some of the Psalms, like Psalm 47, sp- sings of the, the glorious blessing that will come to the nations as a whole. 
because of what Christ has done. We, we have not seen that worked out yet. We are still struggling as a minority within this country and other minorities around the world. We have not seen these things come to pass, but this is God's promise. You, you cannot be the, the uh, this whole expectation that, that the fruits of redemption will be scarce and be minor and be insignificant. How can you compare that with the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore? God is working redemption, and his redemption is going to be magnificent, even in a country like ours where right now it seems like the majority of people, uh, the majority of rulers. I was thinking the other day, even when you think that there may be 65% of the people of the country that are more uh, honest and want the right thing, it just seems like the 25 or 35% of the rulers seem to ha have a way of manipulating things. So even though that kind of thing holds sway in this world today, it shall not hold sway always. Because Christ has come, the nations of the world will call upon the name of the Lord. They shall call upon the name of the Son first, and through the Son they shall call upon the name of the Father. There will be a great, uh, a great work of grace in this world. And in that day... <laughs> In that future day, though there are people that remonstrate, I believe, and do not come to the Father, in that day, the righteous will have control. And just like today, it'll be the flip of today, where the wicked, seems like no matter how, how much the righteous want, the wicked have, have, are predominant. In the, in the day of the Lord, no matter how much the wicked want, the righteous will have control. And God will just move these things on to a fitting conclusion to world history. And all of that is worked out through this family. When I was a child, we used to, my brothers and I, we used to, my brothers and sisters and I, we used to do family dramas every once in a while. We'd, we'd make up some sort of a play that we'd figure out in our own little minds, and we'd select who were the stars and who were the supporting actors, that sort of thing. And uh, uh, it, was, it was an ironic thing, but my brother, my my brother Bill, who was two years younger than me, uh, Bill was usually the star. <laughs> he orchestrated a lot of these things. But uh, our family dramas were nothing like this family drama here. This family drama was for keeps. It was magnificent, and it pointed forward uh, to the to the to the uh, to the future. God uses us as families. He uses us as he uses us as children and as parents. To work out these things that are so important. Let us be thankful to God and let us learn the lessons that he has for us in our lives. Our lives are not always easy ourselves. Sometimes they are agonizing in their dimensions. But through it all we see that God is there and God provides. Let's, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for so, many, so much focus in the scriptures on the family. And on the way you work out these great lessons uh, for us, you teach us so many things, and you do it through the te our tears. You do it through our wranglings where we hardly know whether we will have the strength to live till tomorrow. Yet you are there in the midst of that burning bush. You are there in the midst of this uh, almost sacrifice. And you provide 
in Jesus Christ to provision for all things. Bless us then in him, we pray. Amen.